Hey, welcome back. This is Luke with LukeHumphreyRunning.com and today we are going to discuss the question how fast do we lose fitness and uh, in these times uh, under quarantine and lockdowns I've been getting this question a lot so the question of detraining has come up a lot at the, and at the time of writing this we are we're under I am personally under a stay-at-home shelter and I, I know many of you are as well spring marathons have been uh, canceled some of the summer races are starting to get canceled but hopefully uh, fall races will still be on um, but a lot of folks uh, feel like their hard-fought gains are, are lost forever however I feel like there's a fair amount of confusion regarding what detraining really is and what the variations we typically encounter with training so today I want to kind of go, go over that those those different things and then what's really going on and if those feelings are warranted that we have to start over or if we've lost everything. So first of all, there's the full-fledged detraining and this is just stopping training altogether or reducing so much that the training stimulus is not elicited. Uh, this is what you'll see uh, a lot of blog posts, a lot of articles reference when they're talking about use it or lose it. You know, this is what we're referencing. And ultimately though, the end result is uh, a loss of fitness over a period of time. We're just sometimes some things are go away pretty quick. Some things go away a little bit slower, but ultimately you give it enough time, you've lost the majority of what you've, what you've fought so hard to, to gain. The second one is tapering. And, and this is interesting because uh, some folks buy into a very long taper. And with this, you can actually dip into detraining if they reduce uh, mileage, intensity, all those factors for a long enough time. But that's a discussion beyond today. Uh, but it's an interesting thought to expand on, and I think at some point we probably should. But ultimately what we're looking at, the purpose of the taper is to improve performance through rest. And I would define it more as calculated reduction in training through volume, frequency, and intensity in order to maximize race performance through realizing improvements made in previous training. Third, we have maintenance, and which would fall between complete detraining and tapering. It may or may not be planned as it may be done to try to mitigate downtime for injury, um, or in our case, there's really no race to train for, so we've kind of just taken a big step back in, in our hard training. So with maintenance, the training stimulus, it's high enough to stop the downward trend of fitness loss, or at least slow that trend for an extended period of time but it's not high enough to really promote further fitness development. So I, would, I like to tell my athletes, you know, at this point we're really just kind of treading water. Um, the last one to me is, is an early rebuilding mode and some would refer to this as reverse tapering, but I tend to stay away from that term. So that would, the, the term of reverse tapering would suggest that I'm going to taper for my race, run the race, and then follow my taper plan in reverse to get back to full training. However, I, I, I wouldn't do that to my athletes. I couldn't imagine giving an athlete a 10-mile tempo run 10 days after their marathon. So early rebuilding to me would be the time post-downtime, whether it's due to injury, illness, plan time off, or a race, that makes us takes us from reduced fitness to normal training volume and intensities. And how I would approach that would vary on individual circumstances. So I'm not going to really go into to that too much. And this one... We'll have to talk about later too. I think both uh, tapering and rebuilding phases are, are definitely good for uh, for another day. Uh, but for now, I want to focus on detraining and maintenance. And during this time of forced shutdown, 
people have gone from peak training into forced downtime. And like I mentioned, there's a lot of worry about, you know, air quotes, starting over or at least losing a significant amount of fitness. And the general consensus with that is that with a short amount of time off, performance will actually improve, but go past a few days and then performance will start to decline. So specifically, some areas that we can look at are, so the first thing would be after two or more weeks, VO2 max starts to decrease. And you know, I've seen a lot of numbers, but the general consensus is five to 20% reduction in VO2 max depending on time off. So obviously the less time off, the shorter that number, the more time you take off, the bigger that number. Uh, the second thing is ventilation. So, you know, your breathing would increase 10 to 14% within a few days. And so that, for a lot of you, that's why your exercise feels harder, even though it's just a short amount of time later on. Um, the third thing would be lactate threshold. And this starts to decrease after a few days off completely, which is definitely like, so VO2 max is definitely kind of a, um, an invitation to the dance, so to speak, a lactate threshold be the date to take to the dance. You know, that's what, um, that's what really is going to, um, make it happen. Right. So like performance depends maybe less on VO2 max to a point, but really we know that lactate threshold is really the bigger determinant when you compare people of similar ability. Capillarization, uh, decreases to pre-training levels within four weeks of, of complete detraining. And then mitochondrial enzymes decrease 25 to 45% up to 12 weeks before you kind of see that level off. So that's pretty significant there. That's where the aerobic um, uh, capacity really probably sees this thing because it, the no, enzymes are what kind of promote those um, processes to take place. And, and then if we lose that, then um, we start losing that aerobic ability. Uh, but there are others. There's definitely a lot of others. But the point is made. If you go full stop on training, you begin to lose fitness. In terms of performance, what would that mean? So, you know, an older article from Pete Fitzinger, you know, he basically said that after three weeks of completely being off, your times will slow three to five percent. So that's pretty significant, right? So 40 minute 10K, you're looking at, uh, you know, a little over a minute to two minutes slower, uh, for an hour 45 half marathon, you're looking at three to three to over five minutes slower. So it'll take you to a 148 to a 150. And for a four hour marathon, you're looking at losing seven to 12 minutes. So, and that's just purely from a physiological standpoint. I think you could I'll make the case that you'd lose even more um, just based on muscular things and that sort of, sort of nature. But I didn't really see anything that looked at those things specifically. But it's pretty... It's pretty scary to think about, right? So, but we have to remember that that is completely shutting things down. If we are able to uh, not train as hard or not train as often, but we're still getting out there, what's the damage? Is it, is it the same? If we reduce training, we can maintain our physiological gains and maybe even maintain a very high level of performance over a much longer period of time. On top of that, you give your body a much needed break from our heaviest training. So that's a really kind of the perfect world, right? We can, we can limit what we lose, but allow our body to recover so that when we do jump back into training, we're, we're, we're actually starting at a very good place. Uh, so, so I looked at three articles regarding reduced training and distance runners. So, but to be fair, I have to be upfront with these, that these studies were all pretty small in subject size and they were always pretty, pretty much younger runners. A lot of them were like collegiate runners. So just imagine if you're working at a university, who do you have access to? You have, you have access to the track and cross country teams, right? So that's, that's where your subject pool comes from a lot of times. Um, 
and so to take it so take it as you may right so take it if you're if you're 50 years old and take it take from it what you what you want to take from it but with all three of these studies they were there was a period of normal training followed by a two to four week block of reduced training and, and peak mileage varied but there was reductions in you know 50 to 70 percent volume uh, frequency was all also reduced in, in a couple of the studies, intensity was reduced, and one in some of the studies, uh, intensity was the same. They just did less volume of the intensity. So there's a lot of different variables that were going on there. But but overall, the results were very similar. What was found is that there was a maintenance of primary measures. So VO2 max, running economy, lactate threshold, all ha- all held steady. And from a physiological standpoint, we saw no changes. However, in two of the studies, performance via 5K times were unchanged. In the third, another one was was slower after the reduced training. But here's what I think is key. Here's something that we can all take away from this. However, it is important to note that the body fat increased in these subjects from 10.4 to 11.8%. And so think about that. These are mostly younger college age individuals. High metabolism is probably pretty hard to put weight on in that short amount of time. But yet they put over uh, 1% of body fat back on in reduced training. So take from that. So just think of it, if, if, they, if they were able to do that in two to four weeks, think about what the average American adult can do in two to four weeks. So just that's what I want to point out. But if you were to weigh 150 pounds, that's an increase of over two pounds of body fat. And it might not seem like that much, but if you, but if the old adage of two seconds per extra pound of body fat is true, which we know is pretty much true, it's actually might it's two point seconds, um, so it's like a little bit more. You're talking about four seconds per mile at least. Uh, more importantly, it gives us a clue to our own training reduction. Physiologically, we may be old, holding steady, but if our weight is fluctuating with, with the body fat percentages during a time of reduced training, uh, and I'm not, speaking from perf- uh, <laughs> I'm not speaking from personal experience, actually I am, um, but it just goes to show that nutrition will play a role in what we do. So uh, essentially what I'm saying is that you know, physiologically, we might be right where we left off, but if our body composition changes a little bit, which, you know, think about, you know, think about what they're calling it right now. People are putting on the Corona 20, you know, and, you know, I, a lot of people aren't putting that much on. But, you know, if you reduce training, you know, but still eating the same, then obviously you're probably going to put on a little bit of weight. And I don't necessarily think that's a bad thing. I think that that, you know, that's, you can't be at your race weight all the time. And I don't think it's healthy to be at your race weight all the time. So if you start to season back up and even if, you know, you don't want to be, you don't want to put on five, 10 uh, percent body fat, but if you put a percent of body fat back on um, from reduced training, that's something we can easily navigate over 12 to 18 weeks of, of training, right? That's not something that I would be um, overly concerned about. But it will, it will play a role in how we do feel when we come back to training. Okay, so I did look at a fourth article that was similar to the other three and what they were looking at, or as far as what they did. But they were looking more at some biomarkers, which I thought were, were pretty interesting. Um, they looked at testosterone, cortisol, and creatine kinase. So with, uh, with testosterone, runners were able to, were on the slow side of regular training. And unfortunately, the levels didn't improve after the three-week reduced volume. But the point here is, I mean, most runners, especially guy runners, um, especially if you're over 30, uh, you're probably at a reduced testosterone level and running unfortunately will uh, blunt that even more and that's really one of the big problems we have to overcome with with uh, being middle-aged runners and especially if we're still trying to be 
um, competitive or training at a high level, we have to find a way to, to overcome that. But uh, unfortunately, like the three, I think this was uh, uh, about four weeks of that they looked at these numbers after the higher levels of training. And unfortunately, that didn't uh, improve anything. But knowing testosterone and knowing how hard it is to boost your testosterone, that makes sense. It's just simply not long enough. You really need about three months to see uh, any increase back in production of that just because of the way, just because of the kind of the turnover and the production um, in the body. Uh, so cortisol, the second thing they looked at was, uh, which is a good marker for stress levels, was also high during regular training block. But this, unfortunately, this also did not see a, a change significantly with reduced training. And I think, again, it's one of those things where time may be a factor. But it's also important to note, I think, that just in general, our, our lives can be very stressful and cortisol isn't going to know the difference between whether it's coming from training or coming from life. So uh, but, uh, what I want to kind of to use that as is, is, again, it makes it really important to control that when you are training because even if you taper, that may or may not bounce back. And if that's low when you're racing, that's actually a good thing. So if we can control it during training um, through you know better recovery, uh, supplementation, whatever the case may be, that might be a good thing for, for you, long, especially long-term. Um, the third thing was creatine kinase, which is also high during training, which is expected. It's a, it's a really kind of a, uh, what they look at with, uh, with muscular damage. That's usually high. If you, like if you, if you were to do a very hard workout and then go get your blood tested, your creatine kinase would be through the roof because you've induced muscular damage, and that's what that's what they're looking at. Um, that actually did come back. That that improved a ton with with the reduced training, which is good because, like I said, your physiological measures are staying steady, but you're allowing your body to actually recover, and the, and that's present through these numbers is that the muscular damage biomarkers. Are much better and so that shows that your your muscles are actually um, repairing themselves and, and getting back to normal so that's actually really pretty good right so then when we start into another training cycle muscular damage is pretty much non-existent all right so enough of that uh, okay now the question remains what is the best way to maintain our fitness so there's three things we can do the first two are reducing volume and frequency and this may come from reducing the frequency in order to reduce the volume and you get a twofer, you get a two for one, or you can simply reduce the volume of your runs and keep the number of days that you are uh, running the same. Personally, I, write, I like reducing 25 to 35% of my volume. I typically keep the same numbers of days. I just reduce the volume just because I like the habit. I like being in the habit of running and I just would rather cut that day short than um, take days off. If I did take days off, I would probably try to fill that with some sort of um, non-weight bearing cross training or semi-weight bearing cross training um, and go from there. Uh, the third variable is intensity and this actually needs to stay the same or even increase. So keep that in mind. Intensity should stay the same or increase. This means that the easy days remain within your easy range more importantly, you shouldn't abandon doing workouts completely. Instead of doing instead of doing two workouts a week and a long run per week, you might cut that back to one workout and one long run per week. Uh, the long run is reduced in volume, but I think if you run these in your moderate to long run range, which which we prescribe, keep them there. Don't turn these into very very slow long runs or the LSD type of runs. Keep those 
keep that pace at a moderate to long run range. So these are going to be fairly intense. Um, for a weekly SOS day, you might want to skip the marathon tempo every week, but depending on the break length, I would just really kind of rotate through different workouts. If it's a couple of weeks, you just kind of got to fill the time. But if it's four weeks or more, then we can we have some more variation that we can we can throw in there. And I usually just kind of rotate workouts in order to kind of hit all facets of the physiological markers, and nothing ever gets neglected for over you know one to three weeks. Um, faster workouts show more promise in maintaining the physiological level, so keep that in mind. So this means keeping lactate threshold, 5K or 10K repeats, and even mild pace repeats in the rotation. Uh, and this works out well because the volume of these are less and they fit better in with the reduced volume than say a longer marathon tempo run or something like that. Um, and, the, and so basically what I have is I, you know, if you check out the blog post um, with this, I have a, a quick four weeks that might, might look like. So basically Monday is off, Tuesday, or I'm sorry, Monday is easy, Tuesday is off, Wednesday would be a workout day. And so for Wednesday, the first week I have would be 10K reps, the second week would be 5K reps, third, third week would be lactate something in the lactate threshold, and then fourth would be mile, re, mile pace repeats. So it's, you know, this would be like uh, 16 times 100 or 8 times 200, you know, something short and sweet but fast. Thursday would be easy, Friday would be off, Saturday I'd rotate, I would, so I have the first week at a longer run, Just keeping within my parameters of, you know, say 25% of my weekly long, my weekly volume. The second week I'd have a cut down, so I'd start out at like basically um, the slower end of my moderate range and work down to marathon pace for the last mile or so, uh, plus a warm up and cool down, you're going to be in the, so say you do 6 to 10 miles of cutting down, add the mile, add the warm up and cool down, plenty of mileage. The third week would be back to a long run. The fourth week I might actually do a marathon pace run. So I might, I wouldn't necessarily do like say eight miles at marathon pace, but I would maybe do uh, four times two miles or three times two miles, depending on your mileage level or something, something like that, where it's a marathon pace, but they're broken up into repeats plus a warm up and cool down. You're right back into about where you would be for your long run volume. And then Sunday would actually be an easy day. And so you've, you've scaled that down where you're doing five days a week. You're, you're keeping a workout a week and a long run or, or a marathon pace type of workout once a week. Um, and that will take you a long way, right? So that'll, that'll, you, could, you could even probably double that and do that for up to eight weeks and be pretty good. I think you'd maintain the vast majority of your fitness. And then it would really set you up well to jump right into a, a training plan. Uh, all right, so to wrap it up, the, just... You know, like I said, this would pick up. You could you could do this for four to maybe eight weeks. I don't think I'd go over eight weeks on that, um, but uh, ideally you wouldn't have to. Uh, but overall, the big point is I don't want you to be scared of scaling back your training. And if you do it the right way, you'll come out of this a better runner in the long term. You'll be able to recover from this. You'll be in a position where you don't have to over, be overly motivated, but you're not abandoning the process of becoming a better runner. And when the time comes, we can start training hard again. And, you, and at that point, um, you know, mentally you, you might be ready, but physically you'll definitely be ready. So just keep that in mind. All right. So thanks for listening, guys. Um, I do have a request, uh, you know, as, as you're listening to this, we are in the middle of the, of the shutdowns and, and things like that. And, you know, obviously online coaching has taken uh, a big hit with no races to train for. So if you enjoy the podcast, you enjoy the Facebook free group, um, you enjoy being a part of our community, 
um, and you want to help out, you want to keep things rolling, um, please go to patreon.com backslash Luke Humphrey Running. And uh, I have a Patreon page there. Three different levels. You get some. You get a few perks with each level. Um, but if that's something that uh, compels you and you want to help out and 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 even just a little bit, uh, we'd be very very grateful. Keep things rolling. Keep our coaches on staff um, and all that good stuff. So check that out. If that's not your thing, but you need a training plan, go to finalsearch.com/coach/lukehumphreyrunning.com. All my plans are up there. They're updated. You get the synced workouts. You get the structured workouts. You have lifetime access to these plans. So you can apply them over and over again. You can put your paces in. You get day-to-day um, pace. You get your workouts by pace. So if I have give you a 12 by 400, you get what exactly the pace for the 400 should be. You get exactly what pace for the recovery should be. All of that good stuff. So lots of really cool features in that. Um, sync with your Garmin Connect. There's other watches you can sync with as well. Um, if you are interested and you're thinking about coaching, um, go to LukeHumphreyRunning.com. We have the blogs on there. We have custom schedules. Uh, we have um, the coaching. I've actually opened up another level of coaching that's, uh, that's a, a, quite a bit more affordable, um, especially in these times. But um, it's, it's $100 a month, and you get access to your own coach individually. Um, you guys work out the feedback and stuff like that. But take a look at that. Um, I also have consultations where we can just get, t- take a look at your training log, give you some ideas, give you some uh, recommendations, things like that. So as always, thanks for listening, guys. I truly appreciate it. Hope you're all staying safe, and uh, we'll see you out on the road here shortly. All right, take care, guys. <laughs>